This is Hoss. And this is Samson. With Franks and Deans. In Las Vegas, Nevada. And And unless unless we we feel feel like screaming at the radio, we never listen to I Doubt It with Dollimore. That's such an asshole. Yeah, but she's kind of hot, though. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, let's do this. Welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us on this 208th episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore. And sitting across from me, still beleaguered <laughs> by a canker sore. Oh my God. The lovely and not quite as articulate as normal Brittany Page. This is just. <laughs> you're putting all the deets, all my deets on the street. <laughs> I don't really appreciate it. Hey, listen. You know, I do wonder, though, how many people get canker sores? Is it most people? Oh, I'm sure. Because it's not like herpes. It's just, it's a, isn't it? It's typically stress-induced, right? Oh, I think they say, like, stress or citrus. Citrus? (laughs) That's what I've heard. I don't know. Could be a lie. (laughs) I probably read that on Food Babe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I'm not reading Food Babe. I'm just saying. Oh, see the truth's coming out now. it probably got. Nice. (laughs) Going through the grapevine somehow. Real nice. No, 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 no. That was the canker sore talking. So it's getting better, though. Or is it not? Not No, it is not getting better. I tried to uh, swish with some numbing stuff today because I noticed that I'm talking different. I'm moving my lip differently. Yeah, you got like stroke face. Yeah. Like half of your face is like like dribble cup well, style. Well, it, sh- it shouldn't be the whole half. It should just be the the lip yeah, portion. Yeah, deep corner. It's yeah. like you you look like who was that Olympian that time that had the smirk on her face? And uh that's what you look like. Okay. That's super distracting. Well, that's kind of a compliment. I mean, I look like an Olympian with a smirk on her face. That sounds <laughs> great. Is that All a problem? All right. Huh? Is that a problem? Not a problem. Okay. All right. Well, in in lieu of our normal intro segment, we got an email from a listener, and we want to answer their question. So without further ado, Brittany. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. I know you guys have discussed creating a segment where listeners ask you personal questions. I haven't heard you talk about it lately, but I did enjoy hearing you talk a bit about yourselves a few episodes back. In the spirit of moving the conversation forward and getting to know you a little better, and the fact that we just had April Fool's Day, I (laughs) was wondering if you could share your most memorable experiences with April Fool's Day. And can't forget, Brittany's the best part. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Thanks. Of course. Linda from Boston. You know, I thought when the Brittany's the best part thing started, I thought it was just going to be the ladies. Mm-hmm. And it is a lot of ladies who do love them some Brittany Page. Yes. But there's also a lot of dudes who uh, who like to break my heart with the old Britney's the best part bullshit. Well, we all know that everyone's just trying to make me feel good. Oh, right. About my <laughs> right. inconsequential role on the show. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Well, 
let's 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 kind of get into this. I don't uh, I don't have any experiences or memorable moments where I played an April Fool's Day prank because that's a lot of energy and not a lot of payoff. But I do have a very memorable moment <laughs> when I worked for the United States Senate on Capitol Hill mm-hmm. in DC mm-hmm. and I had an odd job, a very interesting job where we were kind of hour on, hour off. It was an amazing, <laughs> an amazing gig. So it wasn't like a nine to five. You no. need to be there all day. Oh, well, yeah, you were there all day, but. But you, you weren't doing stuff all day. No, okay. no. It was super, super, super chill. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, when everybody had been there, there was the the, gr- the crew who was going to be there for the rest of the time that the Senate was in session. Mm-hmm. This was part of why the job was pretty chilled out was because. Sometimes you'd be there until three or four in the morning if the Senate was like debating and in in action. Because mm-hmm. as long as the Senate's in session, they need people there. Well, that sounds horrible. Yeah, no good. Well, usually you get an idea of whether or not the Senate's going to be in because you talk to the insiders and and uh, they'd say, oh, yeah, we're going to be out of here by five or, or we'll be out of here by six or whatever. Well, the crew who's staying, I know this seems really long, but it, it, it'll, it comes together pretty quick. Uh, the crew that's going to stay the rest of the night goes on break from five to six, and then they got to be back mm-hmm. to stay the rest of the night. Right. Well, we got word this was April Fool's Day, of year two thousand or something. Were you aware it was April Fool's Day? Like, were you? I never really paid attention. I'm just like now. I don't care about April Fool's Day. You so know? it wasn't like a big thing. No, no. So I I go on break with a bunch of people, and we get word that Senate is going to be out of session by the time we get back. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm early 20s. I decide, let's get our fucking some drinking done. So we go okay. down to the bar <laughs> that's over there on the Senate side. I don't know what what read something or I, I don't know. Anyway, it's probably not even there anymore. And I, it, over the course of the hour, not even hour, because we had to get there and then we had to walk back. I drank, I think, eight beers. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. I was feeling real, real good. Yikes. Completely irresponsible also. Yes. Terrible. That is horrible. So we get back and nope, Senate in session. The flag's still up. That's how you know if either house is in session. The flag over the top, if it's up there, they're in session. So are you drunkily panicking at this moment? or I sit down and I realize... Yeah, I'm, it starts, you know, hitting me because I you drink that fast, you don't automatically like your shit faced, especially beer. Uh-huh. It it takes a while to kind of take take hold. Yes. So I'm sitting there and I'm getting it's starting to set in that oh shit, you're going to be pretty fuckered up pretty soon. <laughs> and around the corner, I'm sitting in a chair right up by the Senate gallery, the 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 press gallery upstairs where you would go into the. The, the balconies that overlook the Senate chamber. Mm-hmm. And this guy comes running around the corner, walking into a restricted area. And I'm, I, st- I go, hey, uh, wh- where are you headed? He goes, oh, I'm looking for the Senate press gallery. Mm-hmm. I go, well, you, you, you got to be staff. You got an ID? Or, and he goes, and he pulls out his ID, and he's a member of Congress. Mm-hmm. He's a congressman. And there's 435 of those idiots. I don't know every single one. <laughs> and I, but I was like, oh, shit. So I stood up. You know, you got to give him a little deference. Yeah. Sorry, sir. It's uh, right over there. Blah, blah, blah. And so I sit back down. He leaves. Ten minutes later or so, he comes out and he goes, excuse me, officer. He thought I was a cop. I'm in a suit. Uh-huh. I go, oh, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a Capitol Police, but I can get one for you. Yeah. And he goes, no, no, no. 
I need to talk to you. He goes, when you ask for my ID. Busted. You embarrassed me in front of all these people. And I'm, I'm not very happy about it. Who's your boss? Oh. And, he, and he steps closer and he goes, and have you been drinking? Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, oh, my, oh my fucking God. <laughs> it's the greatest job in the world. Yeah, everything early... is coming to end. Oh, yeah. I left the Marine Corps. I worked on a campaign. I went straight to the goddamn Senate. I was losing my mind. And he, and he starts tearing into me. Yeah. And then I hear snickering from behind me. The cops are behind me. And yeah. then I look back at the, the, the congressman and he goes, he goes, uh, April Fools. Oh, like, my uh, God. And I grab him and shake his hand, but I pull him in and I go, <laughs> not cool, man. Yeah. Super not cool. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Terrible. That is I, not, I almost had that's a heart not attack. cool. That's yeah. not cool. <laughs> but the, the, they, he was a cool enough congressman that he, uh, he was. You know, kept it on the DL that I was uh, a drunkard on the job. Yeah. <laughs> How great for you. What about you? Um, I have nothing memorable at all whatsoever. That's um, lucky for you. Playing a prank or experiencing one. Please do not come to me next year with something real great now that you've learned this about me, listeners. <laughs> But um, I think the biggest thing for me is just being annoyed on April Fool's Day, especially well, online. That's what I was going to say. With Facebook now, it's it's changed the holiday into something even more ridiculous than it used to be. Yeah, it for sure has. And I shared a meme the other day that said something to the effect of April Fool's Day is the only day where people are critically analyzing the news on Facebook. <laughs> And I think like that's checking their sources. Yeah, I think that's very <laughs> true and also very yeah. sad because there were many stories that were in my feed where I just, you know, flat out thought this is not true. This isn't happening. And it shouldn't be the only day where we have that skepticism. Right. Or where we really dig deep and, and we don't just look at one link. We verify it with another website that's yeah. not, you know, green science or whatever. That's so, an awesome point. And there's not enough of those people out there. So that is my feeling on April Fool's Day. Sorry to... A <laughs> little bit more bitter note. Yeah. Sorry I don't have a great story. Uh, just a lecture for you. That is okay. All right. We also have a voicemail from a listener. And let's address that before we move on to follow up. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. This is Chris from California. And I'm calling uh, because I am... I'm curious. I've I, uh, I've noticed a shift on Jesse. Jesse used to be pretty hard on Bernie, and um, now now you've been softening up a bit in your last few episodes. And I'm kind of wondering what's going on over there. Uh, what's got you rethinking your position these days? So, really curious to know um, what's got you softening up. I love the show, guys. Thanks. Uh, I you see? <laughs> no, Britney's the best part. Yeah. Love the show. Britney's the best part. It's a bummer. I'll, I'll just play it in the wake, in that hollow part where there wasn't a Britney's the best part. Chris I'll from California it. hates my guts. <laughs> well, clearly he doesn't believe you're the best goddamn part, Britney Page. <laughs> let me address a question before we move on. Um, Obviously, let me address the question. Otherwise, we wouldn't have played the fucking You know what? Call. I think I'll take this one on your behalf. No, you will not. Do you have something to say about it? About your shift? I have no idea oh. what's going on with you. Please explain it to me as well. Here, here's the deal. is I, I have immense respect for Bernie Sanders as an honorable man. 
As I, a human being. I believe what when he says what he says, I believe he believes it. And that's something special in a politician. Mm-hmm. I really believe that. There's a lot of believing words going on here. Uh, I don't believe... Well, I'm not, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta fucking switch it up. I, uh, listen, I don't subscribe oh. to almost any of his... Of his positions. Mm-hmm. I don't believe... Of his beliefs? Of his beliefs, oh, right? Oh, you were just going to say I believe again. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not down with Bernie Sanders' policy, but that doesn't mean I, I can't have affection for the guy. Yeah, and, and sometimes liking the person is almost more right. valuable than the positions. And, I mean, sometimes. And the longer we go into this presidential campaign, and he's still sticking to his core values... That's fucking impressive. It shouldn't be impressive. It should be par for the course, but it's not in politics. Mm -hmm. And that is why I have respect for him. That is why I have maybe softened my my ire for him relative to his policies, but eh, feeling pretty good about Bernie the man. And I wouldn't even feel too bad about Bernie the president because a lot of his wacky shit's not going to get passed. You know what I mean? So do you want to talk about the decision that you made today? Uh, yeah, I guess I will. <laughs> but listen, we've talked about on the show before that we are facing here in California, the, for, for, for new audience members, I guess just a reminder for old, we live in the Los Angeles area, in Orange County, California. And in California, our primary is in May, and it is a closed primary for Republicans and open for Democrats. Right, so the party leaders, they came to the Secretary of State and they said whether or not they would let no-party-preference voters vote in their elections. And the American Independent Party said yes, the Democratic Party said yes, other parties said yes. The Republicans were the only party that said No, only Republicans can vote in our primary. So today I went on to the Secretary of State's website for the state of California to to change my voter registration to be party affiliated. That was the plan. From no party preference to a party. That's right. So what my plan was, because I, as everyone knows who's listened to the show for more than three minutes, knows that I am a never Trump guy. I do not want Donald Trump. I think he is dangerous. I think he is bad for America. So I, I have this thought in my head, this strategy in my head that I'm going to go and I'm going to register Republican so I can go vote in the Republican primary for John Kasich mm-hmm. to stop Trump from getting the nomination. Mm-hmm. And I, I I couldn't do it. I, I looked at that fucking screen all filled out, ready to hit enter. And I couldn't bring myself to do it. To register as a Republican. Right. And I came to this. I'm going to end up voting in the Democratic primary this year. And you have? Never voted for a Democrat. So this is... Monumental. Why Historic. are we finishing each other's sentences? Stop. Hang on now. Listen. <laughs> I want to explain. The reason I'm not going to vote in the Republican primary this year is because if they don't want my vote then they've dug their grave and they get what they fucking deserve. If Trump wins California, they did it. They did it by choosing to have a closed primary. The reasons for which I completely understand that they don't want 
people outside of the party choosing the candidate for them. Mm-hmm. But that's the rules they set. I'm not going to bend and change my voter registration. So I'm going to vote. I'm going to go vote in the Democratic uh, primary and... Uh, We'll see what that entails. <laughs> oh, that's so great. <laughs> it's an exciting time, everybody. All right. Before we get into politics, that was very, well, we're going to talk about politics, but we're going to do some follow-up like we always do. First, before we do, if you too would like to communicate with the show, like Linda or Chris from California, where was Linda from? Uh, Bo- Boston. Boston, Massachusetts. Um, if you too would like to communicate with the show, you could do so by calling 657-464-7609. That number one more time for good measure, 657-464-7609. You could also email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. All right. So in previous episodes, we have talked about these religious liberty bills that are taking place right now. The fact that Georgia... The governor has vetoed the bill because of pressures from outside business and that North Carolina, in the face of economic threats from private industry, went ahead and signed the religious liberty bill. Well, it looks like that is starting already to bite them in the ass. It didn't even take a week. I'm James Vallis. Online payments company PayPal says it has decided to scrap its multi-million dollar plan to open a center in North Carolina that would have created hundreds of jobs, citing its opposition to the state's anti-LGBT law. Dan Schulman, the chief executive of PayPal, said in a statement on Tuesday that the company feels compelled to take action to oppose discrimination after North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory signed the controversial bill into law. Schulman said, quote, the new law perpetuates discrimination and it violates the values and principles that are at the core of PayPal's mission and culture. As a result, PayPal will not move forward with our planned expansion into Charlotte. This decision reflects PayPal's deepest values and our strong belief that every person has the right to be treated equally and with dignity and respect, end quote. PayPal announced last month that it had planned to open a new global operations center in Charlotte that would have created more than 400 jobs as part of a $3.6 million investment. Shulman said the company will now seek an alternative location and remains committed to overturn the state's new legislation. The bill signed into law by Governor Pat McCrory late last month prohibits local anti-discrimination ordinances and obligates transgender students at public schools and universities to use only bathrooms that match their birth certificate, which makes North Carolina the only U.S. state to do so. All right. Well, this was easily foreseen. I said it the day that they passed the law, and it's happening. And this will not be the only company that bails on North Carolina. I I predict there will be companies that leave who are presently there. This is a case where they had plans, but they've halted them. Listen, this isn't just jobs. This isn't just like 400 people working in a call center or whatever. This is construction when they build out their 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 location. This is payroll tax of the people. This is corporate tax. This is restaurants and hotels. This is a big deal. This is going to cost the state millions and tens of millions of dollars in revenue. And uh, it's not going to be popular. So 538 did an interesting write-up on this 
trend that we're seeing right now. And they have a little graph in here that says, how do states define a person's sex? And they break down the definition of biological sex in bathroom access bills proposed in state legislatures 2016 sessions. And the different ways that it is defined in these bills is identified at birth, chromosomes, anatomical sex, not specified, what it says on the birth certificates, and quote unquote, as biologically defined. Hmm. So again, none of these are personal choice, how someone feels they identify, right, et cetera. Well, they're, they're just not following science. They're going off of you know, the the good old boy network and what, what they feel like it should be. So we, we will continue to follow this, like I said. And this is a trend right now. Earlier, last summer, was it last summer? I don't know what you're referencing. Oh. <laughs> when Many they, things happened when last When there summer. was like Indiana and Missouri with the Religious Freedom Restoration Acts, there was a spate of those. Uh, they went through this period where all these states were trying to pass these bills. Well, right now it's happening with these religious liberty actions. Uh, let's start with Tennessee. That's not necessarily religious liberty, but their own, the Senate of Tennessee has just passed a measure to make the Bible the official state book. Tennessee lawmakers passed a bill that would make the volunteer state the first in the nation to recognize the Holy Bible as its official book. On Monday, April 4th, the state Senate voted 19 to 8 in favor of the bill, despite arguments by the state attorney general that the move would be in violation of the Tennessee Constitution, which states that, quote, no preference shall ever be given by law to any religious establishment or mode of worship. Opponents also argued that the bill trivializes the Bible by placing it alongside other state symbols such as the official tree, bird, or fish. Hedy Weinberg, head of the ACLU of Tennessee, called the bill a thinly-veiled effort to promote one religion over other religions. The bill has been sent to Governor Bill Haslam's desk. He has not indicated whether or not he will sign it. For Newsbeat Social from Washington, D.C., I'm Caitlin Mangum. Seems pretty cut and dry that it would probably be overturned on appeal or if it got as far as the Tennessee Supreme Court because that language is pretty clear. No preference to 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 establish a religion or I- any mode of worship. So the Bible, eh, pretty clear that that's a certain preference. You know what I mean? Yes. But let's move on from Tennessee. That was just kind of uh, to wet your whistle of what's going on in Mississippi. Shocker, Mississippi. In Mississippi right now. The governor has signed a religious freedom bill that is not going over well and is facing the same type of opposition from business and, obviously, LGBT activists. In this clip, David Muir, he starts off talking about Tennessee and what they're proposing in addition to their Bible thing and then moves on to talk about Mississippi. Next here this evening to a flashpoint, the Tennessee legislature weighing a vote on a new law to protect the right of counselors to turn away patients if treating them would violate their religious beliefs. It's the latest in a wave of similar laws across this country, including a move in Mississippi. ABC's Steve Osinsami is there tonight in one town talking to people on both sides of this heated issue. 
Tonight, the culture war over same-sex marriage has come to Mississippi. Protesters here are taking their outrage to Governor Phil Bryant's door. This week, he signed in a new law allowing public and private businesses to refuse service on religious grounds to gay or transgender people. And not just cakes, flowers, and wedding venues, but adoptions, certain medical services, and counseling. I think it protects the religious freedom of people who have deeply held religious beliefs. The new law is specific about what beliefs it protects, that marriage is between one man and one woman, sexual relations are reserved to marriage, and that gender is determined at the time of birth. Honest uh, people who have a legitimate objection to what's going on, uh, a religious objection, uh, have uh, a, a course of action now. But critics call it state-sanctioned bigotry. Karen Brown of Baker in South Haven, Mississippi, says she only needs to know how you want the cake. What a person chooses to do is between them and the people that they love and the deities that they worship. Executives from several large companies have written appeals to get the law overturned. In North Carolina, more than 80 businesses are protesting the law there, and PayPal is now pulling 400 jobs and a $3.6 million project. Tonight, a number of governors across the country are telling state workers they can't travel here to Mississippi for business. David? Steve Osinsami with us tonight. So that really covered kind of the gamut of what's going on across the South right now. One of the issues I take with this this bathroom problem that they're creating is by saying that you have to be the sex that you have when you're born. Well, what if you're born with both sex organs? For years and years, for decades, in fact, children have been born with both sex organs. And if one is a little underdeveloped, than the more underdeveloped than the other, it's up to the parents to just decide. And oftentimes, they make the wrong fucking choice. So the next clip is going to talk more specifically about who is protected by this law in Mississippi. Now, I want to walk our viewers through what exactly this law entails. This, actually, this bill would actually allow religious organizations, here we have it, to deny marriage, uh, wedding services, employment, rent or sale of property, medical treatment to members of the LGB community. It, it sort of, as a black woman myself, it sort of reminds me of how black people, how African-Americans were discriminated against in this country 50 years ago. Well, certainly, um, look, there's a history in this country of, of official required mandatory discrimination by the government um, based on race. And I think race is a, a separate category. What's striking here is that in the US, um, uh, the bans, the, the, the requirements for official discrimination against LGBT people, certainly against lesbian, gay, and bisexual people, have largely but not completely been erased. And that the most recent time that we got rid of official required discrimination by the government was last June when the U.S. Supreme Court said that same-sex couples have the freedom to marry all across the country. And here what we see is states in, uh, imposing new requirements of discrimination um, and look, the, the trajectory on, on this issue, that is LGBT rights in America, is towards greater equality. And what's really just a, a amazing to see here is that in North Carolina and in Mississippi, um, we have state legislatures and governors who have decided to go against that trend mm -hmm. and instead to embrace the idea of mandatory discrimination. Right, so it's That's step, not where we're headed. It's a step backwards. Okay, James Essek, we have to leave it there. Thank you so much for a, a fascinating discussion. Appreciate that. 
So I really appreciated how the CNN anchor said that as a black woman, this reminds her of what her ancestors or herself, what she has experienced being a black woman. Absolutely. And the most disturbing part of this law is that religious organizations are protected by the law and they can decide to whom they will sell or rent housing they control based on their religious beliefs. Now, I don't know if people have heard that commercial. They used to run it in the Los Angeles area a couple years ago where it was a housing discrimination commercial and they had someone calling a the same landlord over and over again, but using various dialects dialects to convey that they were from a different race or culture. And the landlord was rejecting each person until it was clearly like a, oh, hello, sir. I am calling, (laughs) you know, white, white sounding guy. Just I mean, it's a really disturbing commercial. But then here you have this and this is the same thing. Discrimination of who will live in your unit. Right. Based on what? On their sexual orientation. Right. The, based on how they were born. I mean... It's... And based on your belief in mythology, in your particular flavor of religion. Now, these religious organizations are protected by the law and can decide whether or not to hire, terminate, or discipline an individual whose conduct or religious beliefs are inconsistent with the beliefs of their employer. What are you talking about? Right. I mean, it's it's un-American. It's absolutely appalling and un-American, and the Mississippi governor signed it. Okay, and not only this, but medical and therapy professionals can decline treatment, counseling, or surgeries. Surgeries related to sex reassignment or gender identity transitioning. But what medical treatments, what other medical treatments are involved in that? Well, it's a slippery slope. What It starts there. Where does it end? Why can't an oncologist or a brain surgeon say, well, look, he gets to deny that. Well, why can't I deny my service? I'm a Christian. I don't agree with homosexuality. Isn't the mantra, first do no harm? Yes. In the medical community? Right. Yeah. It's, like I said, it's appalling. It's sickening. It, this, Like you said, that, that's really the crux of this. These are helping professions, doctors, psychologists, counselors, social workers. Where does it stop? And like I said before, the governor signed this bill. And let's talk about what makes this particular law in Mississippi so insidious seems that we've uh, seen several of these religious freedom bills introduced and even passed in several states since the Supreme Court legalized uh, gay marriage last summer. But the question is, why is this one in Mississippi so different? Well, uh, the answer, according to several constitutional law experts that I've spoken to, are three religious beliefs that are now uh, basically there as stated by uh, the state, and that is that marriage is a union between uh, a man and a woman, uh, that sex only happen between a heterosexual married couple, and that uh, that your, your, your sex, a person's sex, is determined at birth. And again, those are the beliefs that are not protected uh, by the state, which means that anyone who uh, doesn't necessarily agree with that would have then, uh, would then be able to deny several services to individuals. Now, uh, opponents of this uh, call that flat-out discrimination, uh, but then you hear from some of the supporters, including Governor Phil Bryant, who signed this into law yesterday, who say they are simply trying to protect people's religious freedoms. 
there's no intent. There's no one on the part uh, of the Mississippi legislature or the governor's office that wants to discriminate or harm anyone. This is simply, if, if they are worried about protecting people's rights, also understand that people of faith have rights. And so, again, important to uh, remember what's happening also in North Carolina. That's where a similar debate took place. A law was passed there that mandates what restrooms and locker rooms transgender people can and can't use. Right now, the state under tremendous pressure to either modify that or even do away with that. And now, uh, something to put on our radar, Michaela, is Tennessee. There is a bill there that's in the works that's soon to be debated next week uh, that would give uh, several uh, of caregivers, therapists, and family uh, counselors to turn away certain people based on their beliefs. Sickening. So are they going to start like checking females hymens to ensure that they can get their wedding cakes? Yeah, right. Because one of the tenants now is that sex before marriage. Uh, right. Is not allowed or what about divorce? Acceptable. What if you're on your second marriage? You got married early. It didn't work out. You got divorced. That is not a biblical tenant. That is against biblical teaching. Well, sorry, you're not allowed to get married. I'm not going to give you a cake because my particular flavor of religion forbids it. I love, and by love, I mean not love, how the <laughs> the governor is saying, you know, well, we need to remember that religious people, they have rights too. Yeah, but no one is harming you. Right, they're... You're Their not being affected at all. Not being violated. You're not. This has no effect on your life. Their freedom stops where someone else's freedom begins and vice versa. It's not affecting them that two dudes get married. It's not. You can believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. Great. Right on. Live it up. Don't marry a dude if you're a dude and don't get shacked up with a gal if you're a gal. And, you know, making a wedding cake for a gay couple does not harm you. Renting an apartment to a gay couple does not harm you. Right. Treating, medically treating a gay person does not harm you. We, I talked about it last summer. I said, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. And here we are. It's getting worse. Listen, I get worked up. I'm sure the audience gets worked up. Let's do try to keep in mind, though, that it will we are on the trajectory toward a better time. Marriage is legal. That's not changing. Things are going to clear up, even if it's through attrition of these old dinosaurs who are trying to pass these laws. So keep your chin up. Things are going to get better for sure. All right. Moving on. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right. Thank you very much to our Patreon supporters. We have been getting a lot of communication, a lot of requests for when are you guys going to start a third episode per week? We do two now, and there's a lot, a lot of, I don't know if I want to say fervor, <laughs> but there's uh, 
there's definitely the question out there. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it. You know, if if only if only 500 of our listeners gave a quarter per episode on Patreon, that's $2 a month. $1.99 a month. If 500 of you did that, we absolutely could justify it time-wise and budget-wise to do a third episode. So I would encourage you, if that's something you want, let us know by by joining with us, partnering with us to help move the conversation forward. We appreciate you guys so much. And our next debate episode is going to be coming up because the next debate is the Democratic debate that they finally scheduled on CNN on April 14th. And that is next Thursday. That is right. So watch for that. All right. Uh, before we move on, though, I want to mention I was on Liar City. Oh, yes. The last Liar City episode talking about the Mariel boat lift in Cuba during mm-hmm. the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage all of our listeners to go check it out. I had a really good time with Brian. He's obviously we've had him on the show a couple times. He is one of my favorites. That is one of my favorite shows. And uh, we had a real good time. It was a, a very lively. You know, we talked about immigration, obviously. Uh, in the format of his show, talking about in relationship to the Mariel Boatlift. But of course, you know, a lot of the, the current stuff that we're facing right now with the Syrian refugees and the Iraqi refugees, it came up too. So Great show. Great episode. Absolutely. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes, do it. And if you haven't rated and reviewed them, Bren and Darian and, and Brian, then goddamn, after you get to rating and reviewing us... Uh, give them a little love too. I was going to say, what are you, what are you trying to do? <laughs> Priorities. All right, let's move on. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. All right. Well, Trump has done it again. He has made another creepy ass comment about one of his children that I would consider a sexual remark. And this time, this time, it wasn't about how sexy Ivanka was. It was about his other daughter, Tiffany, his other daughter, (laughs) Tiffany, when she was a baby. Here's a little clip from the Daily Show. Now, I'm pretty sure nobody has seen this clip since it had over 20 years ago. Uh, because it's not online. Uh, It's from a 1994 episode of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, in which host Robin Leach asks Donald Trump and his second wife, Marla Maples, an innocent question about their one-year-old daughter, Tiffany. Now, Donald, what does Tiffany have of yours, and what does Tiffany have of Marla's? Okay, now now take a second. You guys are all human beings here, right? right? Just take a moment to think about how you might answer this question about your baby. Yes, uh, you guys have an answer in your head, maybe? Yeah, you got an answer? Okay, okay, well, let's see how Donald Trump answered this question. Now, Donald, what does Tiffany have of yours, and what does Tiffany have of Marla's? Well, I think that she's got a lot of moral, and she's really a beautiful baby, and she's, uh, she's, got, um, she's got Marla's legs. <laughs> we don't know whether or not she's got this part yet, but time will tell. <laughs> Talking about the chest. Goddamn. So that's, I mean, that makes his remark about Ivanka 
seem a little tame. If Ivanka weren't my daughter, perhaps I'd be dating her. (laughs) Well, what's so shocking about this clip is that he had so much difficulty trying to come up with an answer. Yeah. I mean, he was stalling. She's got my nose. She's got my eyes, my lips, something. Right. But no, it's, oh, she's going to have her mom's big tits, maybe. And he literally held his hands out in front of his chest and was like, right, you know, lifting up the the breasts. Ugh. It's the a baby. It's shocking. Your baby daughter. <laughs> it is really alarming to me because by, if you listen to Donald Trump, he wouldn't say these kinds of things because... I have a very good brain and I've said a lot of things. <laughs> he has said a lot of things, Brittany Page. Mm-hmm. A lot. A lot of horrible things. All right. Well, let's move on to some of those horrible things. Um, we've talked about his, his, his threats of riot. If the nomination is somehow not given to him because, you know, he's he's entitled to it and uh, he has threatened riots in the past. Let, let me remind the audience. I think we'll win before getting to the convention. But I can tell you, if we didn't and if we're 20 votes short or if we're if we're, you know, 100 short and we're at 1100 and somebody else is at 500 or 400 because we're way ahead of everybody. I don't think you can say that we don't get it automatically. I think it would be, I think you'd have riots. I think you'd have riots. So, obviously, that is ridiculous and terrible and unpresidential. And I would say verging on criminal. You're threatening to unleash the torrent of poorly educated voters and supporters onto the populace of the United States in a violent action in retribution. For not getting the nomination. Terrifying. Well, Roger Stone used to be on the paid staff of the of the Trump campaign. He has since parted ways, but he is still an ardent supporter of Donald Trump. He was on a show with Stephen Molyneux. Molyneux. Let's let's just say Molyneux. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you know how I feel. Right. And he issued a threat. He issued a threat as well as issued a call to action to come to Cleveland where the Republican National Convention is going to be held where they will name the eventual nominee for the Republican Party. So I have warned the public, I have warned Trump supporters of what I believe is the big steal. One of two things will happen here, Stefan. Either Trump will have 1,237 votes, in which case the party will try to throw out some of those delegates in a naked attempt to steal this from Donald Trump, or he will be just short uh, of uh, 1,237, in which case many of his own delegates, or I should say people in his delegate seats, will abandon him on the second ballot. So uh, the, the fix is in. Uh, If Trump does not run the table on the rest of the primaries and the caucuses, we're looking at a very, very narrow path in which the kingmakers go all out to cheat, to steal and to uh, and to snatch this nomination from the candidate who was overwhelmingly selected by the voters, which is why I have urged Trump supporters come to Cleveland, march on Cleveland, join us in the forest city. We're going to have protests, demonstrations. 
we will disclose the hotels and the room numbers of those delegates who are directly involved in the steal. If you're from Pennsylvania, we'll tell you who the culprits are. We urge you to visit their hotel and find them. That is, what the fuck is terrifying. that? Terrifying. That, that is outrageous. We're going we're gonna to disclose to you the private room of someone in a hotel, and we encourage the poorly educated, I love the poorly educated, the poorly educated voter, the lower thinker, the caveman to go find them and you're going to deal with them. Well, I'm sure they're just going to have like a nice chat, you know? Right. A real intellectual, you know, overview of what was taking place and how they really feel that the delegate's obligation is. Uh, well, that's what happens at the rallies. Right. That's exactly what happens at the rallies. I would also like to note that that was not one of our phones going off. That was in that clip. <laughs> we are professionals. That is right. This is, this is a, a thread that runs through the Trump organization, even among those who have left who've left the campaign. It's sickening. He is, though, they're getting scared right now. Trump again this week was very quiet after his bad, bad week last. He's gonna have to make some moves, though, because Wisconsin just happened on Tuesday, and Trump lost easily. It went to Ted Cruz, who won with 48.2% of the vote and got 36 delegates, whereas Donald Trump only got six delegates because he got 35% of the vote. Right. John Kasich got no delegates, <laughs> but he did get 14% of the vote. Right. And then Bernie Sanders won yes. Wisconsin as well with 56.6%. That's 48 delegates for him and 38 delegates for Hillary because she got 43.1%. So the delegate breakdown right now, minus the superdelegates. We do not report the superdelegates. Hillary Clinton has 1280 and Bernie Sanders has 1030. That is a narrowing margin is what that is. And then Donald Trump has 743. Ted Cruz has 517, and John Kasich has 143. He's going to win, guys. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the Democrats since you just brought them up. I want to remind before we move on into this Bernie Sanders quagmire that just, that just happened this week, uh, I want to remind everybody about the, the issue of, of Hillary Clinton's transcripts from speeches that have earned her like $600,000 from the big banks and all of the different issues that still hang over her head. Share a lot of the same goals. In the 2016 presidential campaign, Wall Street and the banks have become public enemy number one. Hillary Clinton accepted $675,000 from Goldman Sachs for three speeches in 2013 that probably did more damage to her battle for the Democratic nomination than any other single issue. Although, she could be telling the truth when she says that such speaking fees in her past would not affect her ability to fight Wall Street, the perception of conflict of interest remains. It remains indeed. And I was wrong. It wasn't just $600,000. $675,000 in one year from one company for three speeches. Mm -hmm. Look, make your money. I'm not going to begrudge you that. But don't act like it's not going to influence decisions that you make in the future. 
Well, this week, Bernie Sanders stumbled. He botched a big question when sitting with the New York Daily News editorial review board. And a little shocking. All right, let's talk about this Daily News interview, Dylan, that uh, has been labeled basically a disaster in some corners for Bernie Sanders because of how he answered some questions. So let me give our viewers an example of some of the things that they say that he botched. For instance, one of his signature platforms is that he would break up the greedy big banks. So he was asked about that by the editorial board of the Daily News. How would you go about doing that, breaking up the banks? Sanders says uh, how you would do it is having legislation passed or giving the authority to the Secretary of Treasury to determine under Dodd-Frank that these banks are a danger to the economy over the problem of too big to fail. The Daily News says, but do you think that the Fed now has that authority? Bernie Sanders says, well, I don't know if the Fed has it. Seems like that's one he should have been able to hit out of the park, Dylan. That's absolutely one he should have been able to hit out of the park. And look, these these sorts of uh, answers happen throughout this interview. They happen on foreign policy, which has been weak. Uh, uh, Sanders has been weak on foreign policy in terms of identifying specific proposals about what he would do for some time. Fine. His issue was always taking on Wall Street. It was always about the economy. That really is what is what brought him as far as he's come. But now in an interview, he can't even really get into the specifics about how he would break up the banks or how he would implement this ambitious economic policy that he's brought up. And, you know, look, the point is right. We're getting into a New York City media market. They're going to go very hard. They're going to take advantage of the fact that they've got two weeks in the national spotlight right now with this race. And they're going to go really hard on all of these candidates. And and for, for Bernie Sanders, a guy who has been able to get up there and rail against Wall Street day after day after day and get called for specifics and just say, well, you know, Wall, Wall Street, Wall Street deserve, deserves everything it gets, but not have any specifics on that issue. Now might be that time when, when people really begin to take a second look at just how yeah. uh, effective he could be in actually implementing uh, these proposals. I agree with that guy. I think that that is, it is a problem for Bernie Sanders to sit and not be able to answer the questions. Another issue I have (laughs) is why the fuck could CNN not get the audio? (laughs) Why'd she read a transcript? We have, I don't want to say exclusively on I Doubt It with Dollamore, but I have the audio Judge for yourself. Now, switching to uh, the financial sector, to Wall Street, uh, speaking broadly, you said that within the first 100 days of your administration, you'd be drawing up, your Treasury Department would be drawing up a too-big-to-fail list. Yes. Uh, Would you expect that that's essentially the list that already exists um, under Dodd-Frank, under the Financial Stability Oversight Council? I mean, these are the largest financial institutions in the world. Okay. And then you further said that you expect to break them up yes. within the first year of your administration. Yes. Um, what authority do you have to do that? And how would that work? How would you uh, break up J.P. Morgan Chase? For, he, I want to explain something real quick. He was asked, how would you go about doing this? And he does something very Trump-esque. He, rather than explaining how he would solve the problem, 
he goes into a long explanation of what the problem is rather than answering the question. Um, what authority do you have to do that? And how would that work? How would you uh, break up J.P. Morgan Chase? Well, by the way, the idea of breaking up these banks is not an original idea. It's an idea that some conservatives uh, have also agreed to. Uh, you got head of, um, I think it's the Kansas City Fed, some pretty conservative guys who understands. Let's look about the merit of the issue. We'll talk about how we get there. Right now, what you have are two factors. We bailed out Wall Street because the banks were too big to fail, correct? Turns out the three out of the four largest banks are bigger today than they were when we bailed them out when they were too big to fail. That's number one. Number two, if you look at the six largest financial institutions in this country, they have assets somewhere around $10 trillion. That is equivalent to 58% of the GDP of America. They issue two-thirds of the credit cards in this country and about one-third of the mortgages. That is a lot of power. Mm -hmm. And I think if somebody like a Teddy Roosevelt were alive today, he would look at there, forgetting even the risk element, the, the bailout element. Mm -hmm. And just look at the kind of financial power that these guys have, would say that that is too much power. Okay, well, let's assume that you're correct on that point. How do you go about doing it? How you go about doing it is having legislation passed or giving the authority to the Secretary of Treasury to determine, <coughs> under Dodd-Frank, that these banks are a danger to the economy under the, uh, fail, the uh, problem of too big. But do you think that the Fed now has that authority? Well, I don't know if the Fed has it, but I think the administration can have it. How? I mean, how does a president uh, turn to J.P. Morgan Chase or have the Treasury turn to any of those banks and say, now you must do X, Y, and Z? Well, you do have authority under the Dodd-Frank legislation to do that. To you do? Just um, by Federal Reserve fiat? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Okay. I believe you do. Yeah, I believe you do. Not overwhelmingly convincing. Well, Hillary Clinton got her shot on CNN to talk about this very issue. Pointed out a recent interview with the editorial board of the Daily News that Senator Sanders said, you said it raises real questions about his uh, firm grasp of how the system works with regard to regulating banks and to how we fight the war on terror. How so? Well, he's been campaigning now for a year on his core message of inequality, which I absolutely agree with, and I've put forth my own plans. Um, and in the interview, it seemed unclear as to whether he understood how Dodd-Frank worked, uh, how we would go about breaking up uh, banks that were posing risks to our economy. I think I and many other people were surprised because that has been the centerpiece of his campaign. Uh, I've been saying for many months that it's not enough to just have Dodd-Frank on the books. My plan goes much further, and independent experts who've analyzed it say it's a top-to-bottom uh, effort to try to rein in the risks and the economy. So I've given a lot of thought to this. I've worked hard to come up with plans that will build on Dodd-Frank. I'm committed to using the tools in Dodd-Frank as they are described in the legislation, if that arises as a crisis uh, that requires response. Um, so I, I was, I think, a little bit uh, you know, surprised that uh, there didn't seem to be a lot of substance to what uh, he was saying. I think the presidents who are successful know what they want to do and they know how to do it. And they hit the ground running, able to do every aspect of the job, both as president and as commander in chief. Now, listen. 
I don't buy that she's committed to getting it done. I don't believe her when she says it. I believe she is in the pockets of the big banks. But I cannot deny, and I don't think any logical or clear thinking or honest with themselves person can say that it's not a problem that Bernie Sanders couldn't answer the question. That's something I'm interested in. And if we have listeners that are willing, I'd love to hear from them. If you, if they are a Bernie supporter, what was their perception of this? Right. How did they perceive this New York Daily News interview yeah. and his answers? Because it's widely being reported as a negative thing. Well, listen, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't pile on Trump because he doesn't answer questions and doesn't have the ability to do so and then stick up for Bernie when he's not able to answer questions that are in his wheelhouse. I understand if he struggles with some foreign policy questions once in a while, but when he can't answer this, this is his bread and fucking butter. He has to be able to answer these questions. And it's it's a problem that he either couldn't or was just having a bad day and didn't. So before we wrap up, I want to talk about Megan Kelly. And yeah. I know it seems like we talk about her all the time. Nah, I don't think it's so much, but it's somebody you admire. Yeah, I love her. So um, <laughs> she sat down with Katie Couric and talked on stage during the 2016 Women in the World Summit in New York City. And they talked about many different topics, including Donald Trump and yeah. the media. And this is toward the end of their discussion. And I thought it was very important. So we'll be playing the very end of the clip. And in this clip, they're talking about... Donald Trump specifically and the role that the media played in helping him to get where he is. Yeah, absolutely. It's awesome. Do you, do you feel as if people's hands were tied during certainly the beginning of this election cycle because they did not want to kill the goose that was laying the golden egg, as my father would say? I do. And I, I think it's so ironic because if everyone had stood up from the beginning and asked very tough questions which is what we get paid to do, um, there wouldn't have been this issue because we would have all been shoulder to shoulder asking tough questions. So I wonder there, about that, though. wouldn't cut off access. And you know, I wonder about that, though. He has been such a Teflon candidate. He has said many outrageous things that would disqualify a lot of other candidates. Right. But I think the groundswell of support for him is so strong for whatever interesting reason that these some of his answers throughout the course of this campaign really haven't hurt him in his stand. No, I think that's true. But, that, but that's a different issue. What his answers are is for the voters to evaluate and make up their minds about. What the questions are is up to us. And I think... No, I agree. I agree. But I'm just saying I don't know if it would have made a big difference. I don't see my, I don't look at it that way. I don't care whether it makes a difference or not. That's for the voters, right? Like our job is to just press. We're supposed to press. And what I have seen in the election is, and I, I, I wonder sometimes whether the question I asked him at the debate and the backlash against me has cowed other journalists because they don't want it to happen to them. Or maybe they don't have a boss who they think will stand behind them. Or maybe they just want access and they want the numbers. But what would have happened if they had gone a different route? What would have happened if everybody, and you're seeing a lot more of it now, mm -hmm. but what would have happened if in that moment everyone had gotten tough, really tough, equally on all of them, including him, 
And then you, you can't, as a presidential candidate, shut down everybody. You, you can't shut down Fox and CNN and CBS and ABC and NBC. You can't. So there's strength in numbers on our side, too. And this was a moment, this was an opportunity for solidarity among the press that I think we missed. Yeah, I do think that could have happened, though. I just don't know. I think people are, it's so driven by the bottom line. I think it was sort of a race to who could sort of improve their ratings. And I, I, it would have been great, I agree, but I don't know how realistic that would have been. And that so something they're not directly talking about, but that Megyn Kelly has been talking about over the past week in various interviews that she's given is that Donald Trump went on Bill O'Reilly's show and spoke very negatively about Megan and Bill O'Reilly. You let it happen. Yeah, he didn't defend her. And she describes this as a dark moment. And she wanted her colleague to defend her. She thought that he would. And she she said that she would have done the same for him. Right. And he should have, especially being in the position that he is in Fox at Fox. He's not a journalist in a traditional st- viewpoint. He's he's a commentator. He's an opinion guy. He's right. more like me, except he makes, you know, millions and millions more dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so she's making this criticism, but she's doing it in a very subtle and smart way in that, you know, the Sean Hannity's of the world, yeah. the Bill O'Reilly's, yeah. these people who have cozied up to Trump. Right. They're not showing solidarity with their quote unquote fellow reporters. And they're not really like reporters, but right. th- they are news people. Right. Well, they're employees of the largest news organization on the goddamn planet. And they are not acting as the press, like yeah. Megyn Kelly said, the press to press. Yes. On the candidates. Fact. And she continues. But that's one thing I do want to say because now the journalists are sort of trying to defend themselves by saying, well, we asked Ted Cruz and, and he doesn't say yes. We asked Donald Trump and he says yes. Okay, that's fine when it comes to interviews. That doesn't explain all the phoners that the Sunday shows allowed Trump and not the other candidates. Phoners. Fox News Sunday, hosted by Chris Wallace, is the only Sunday show that from the beginning said, we're not doing that. If you want to come on this program, these are revered programs. You come into the studio or we'll send a a satellite truck to you and we'll put you on camera, but we're not doing a phoner on the Sunday shows. They broke the rules only for Trump. And, and, and not only that, we're talking about the campaign events. Katie, when have you ever seen news stations take campaign events? For 90 minutes at times. Right, That's, we don't do that for anybody. We never did, we don't do that for Hillary, we don't do that for Bernie, we don't do that for Cruz, we never did it for Rubio or Scott Walker. Only one candidate. And then the media would sit there and say, it's amazing how the polls are just up, up, up. It's like <laughs> you're, you're putting your thumb on the scale. And, and so it's not, it's not an anti-Trump thing. It's just a responsibility as journalists, as journalists thing. And I, I think that we really need to have an honest self-assessment in the postmortem to figure out what, what we've done. It will be really interesting to see how journalism schools discuss this campaign, I think, in 10 years. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll be okay, but <laughs> if I were some of those other folks, I'm not sure I'd want to be around. What, so what, what have you learned from this whole experience, and, and where do you, what do you hope to do next? Because we only have a minute and 30 seconds left. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, hmm, what have I learned? Uh, I, I'm going to pause it here before she starts. M- Megan Kelly 
is, listen, you might not agree with her network that she works on. You might not even agree with her politics sometimes that she comes across as, you know, she. I think she does lean a little right, maybe a lot right. But this answer she's getting ready to give is beautiful and insightful and just, isn't it great? Yeah, it also speaks to the... I'm trying to think of an educated word, but I can't. <laughs> so ridiculousness of polarization and yeah. how it pulls people apart when really that, that doesn't need to be what happens. Um, I guess that adversity is an opportunity, you know, for growth. And um, it also helps show you who your friends are and who you really love and who loves you. And, you know, I'll give you one example. My, my husband, Doug, is my best friend and has really gotten me through the whole year. But this is a different kind of example. There is a professor at Harvard by the name of David Cutler, who I used to have on the show during the Obamacare rollout. He was having so many problems, and he's one of the architects of Obamacare. And this is a liberal guy. He's coming on Fox News, and he's super smart. He's from Harvard. We always make fun of Harvard because, you know, we're jealous we didn't go there. Um, and <laughs> So it was I have, my safety school. <laughs> well, she's smart. She went no. to the University of Virginia. <laughs> anyway, so he was so sweet. He's sort of mild-mannered. Anyway, I used to have him on all the time. And when the, when the Trump thing happened, he sent me the, the sweetest email. Just, just said, it just read, I hope you're okay. Let me know if there's anything I can do. And I got a lot of these emails, don't get me wrong, but that one, for some reason, really stuck with me. It's like we didn't really know each other. Probably most people would have thought that we were, you know, having a combative relationship because I used to pound him on, why is it going so badly? Is this the death spiral? What's happening? What kind of law did you design? <laughs> and here he is, he sends me this beautiful note. It just, it does remind you that even though these events can bring out the worst in people, they can also bring out the best in people. Well, I hope you're getting a lot of support. Megan Kelly, Megan, thank you so much. Yeah. So this is a 26 minute long interview and yeah. we're going to put it on the Facebook page and the Twitter page like we do all of our links. That is right. And I want everyone to go watch it because the first two minutes in particular made me emotional hmm. and really illustrate why I love Megyn Kelly as a female role model for women. Yeah, that's so great. watch it. I haven't yet watched it. That This has been the the extent of it. This This last five minutes and 47 seconds have been that's it for me. So I'm gonna definitely watch it. And uh, look, I uh, I like her too. It's she's a tough she's tough not to watch. She's tough not to like because she's she's tough. She's strong, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's let's wrap things up with a little taken care of biz kids edition. Taken Care of Biz. This is about another news lady. Yeah, in the in the making. She's a nine-year-old reporter. <laughs> she recently wrote about a suspected murder in her small Pennsylvania town. And she has been forced to start defending herself after some locals said that a young girl should be playing with dolls and not covering serious crime. Now, she set up and has been running a newspaper online called Orange Street News. So great. She's been doing this <laughs> since 2014. And on Saturday afternoon, she got a tip 
about police being called to an incident in a town 150 miles northwest of Philadelphia. She went to the scene to get the details and posted a story and video clip on her website later that day under the headline, Exclusive, Murder on Ninth Street. The story said that a man was suspected of killing his wife with a hammer and included quotes from neighbors and police. Again, she's nine. Soon after, her Facebook page and YouTube channel, she's all over the place, were clogged with negative comments urging her to, quote, play with dolls and have a tea party and questioning her parents' judgment in letting her do such work. Here she is doing some sort of variation of mean tweets <laughs> from Jimmy Kimmel. Right. Where she's reading the asshole comments. Right. And then she's going to respond to those comments. So great. I'm disgusted that this cute little girl thinks she's a real journalist. What happened to tea parties? Nine-year-old girls should be playing with dolls, not trying to be reporters. You are not years old. Seriously, what is wrong with you? I know this makes some of you uncomfortable, and I know some of you just want me to sit down and be quiet because I'm nine. But if you want me to stop talking, uh, Offering news, then you get off your computer and do something about that news. There, is that cute enough for you? I'm Hilda Kate Lisa. Thanks for watching. Izzy, set this off. I'm done. So her name's Hildy, and she said, quote, It kind of gets me angry because just because I'm nine doesn't mean I can't do a great story. It doesn't mean I can't be a reporter. And I love how she said, if you want me to stop covering the news, then you get off your computer and do something about the news. Right. I mean, this little girl's awesome. Pretty awesome. I, I, it makes me want to donate some audio equipment and maybe some advice on not to have shitty music in the fucking background while you're trying to... <laughs> Give a, a, a good message, it, a serious message. I think she was in a restaurant or something. <laughs> well, leave the Red Robin, Red Robin, yum, <laughs> and, and, and take, it, take it seriously. I mean, obviously, I'm kidding, but goddamn, she's, she's a little rock star. Nine years, listen, it makes me super embarrassed about what I was doing at nine. And I don't, I don't know that I can even talk about what I was doing at nine years old. A lot, of, a lot of dick grabbing at nine years old. You know what I mean? Yikes. <laughs> uh, I love how she called out. I love how she called out the meanness. Yeah. And who are these adults that are saying things like, you should be having a tea party, not doing this. This is her interest. This is what she wants to do. Right. What's and even if it fades, it, it needs this interest needs to be fed because it's productive and constructive. It's awesome. Right. And they're telling her to go play with dolls and have a tea party. No, she wants to go to the scene of a crime and get the deets yes. from the police. Uh, that's awesome. She is definitely taking care of biz. For sure. All right. Well, with that, we're going to leave you. We appreciate you guys very much helping us move the conversation forward episode by episode. Whether you're right, whether you're left, somewhere in the middle we can meet, somewhere in the middle we can have a conversation about the problems that plague us, that face us, and we are having a good time doing it. If you'd like to support the show other than listening twice a week, 
You can go to dollamore.com and on the left-hand side of the page, there's a link that says support the show. There you will find PayPal, Patreon, Amazon. Who knows? Maybe I'll throw up an Audible link or something. Those are the ways that you can support the show by doing more than just listening with your hard-earned money. We appreciate every single penny, every quarter. It, it means a lot. It helps us so much. And uh, you guys are the best. If you have anything to say about this or any other episode, we encourage your participation. You can call 657-464-7609. Of course, email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubted at dollamore.com. We also receive regular old emails there too. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. You're going to be pretty fuckered up pretty soon. (laughs) 